The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. There's awesome things that happen in a game. There's always celebration. There's always the amazing, they score, touchdown, whatever, and they go do that crazy spike the ball, do the dancing, they pose for the cameras now, right, with all the crazy shaking stuff and rowing and you do all kinds of crazy stuff they'll do there. And then once the game's over, there's the on-the-field celebration. We won the game, and they get the trophy. Everybody's excited about that. And then the celebration's not over because then they go back home to their town, and they shut down downtown. Everybody comes out for a big, massive parade to celebrate the amazing thing that happened. That's what's happening here in the book of Nehemiah. Those of you who have been here the last few weeks will look at this stage now and go, what happened here? Because this was a construction zone up here. Because the book of Nehemiah tells the story of a city that had been demolished and laying in ruins for 160 years. And in 52 days, people get together and they rebuild the city. Crazy story of the opposition, the difficulty, and the challenges, and they got it all done. And last week, Justin, one of our pastors here, talked to us about this idea. Hey, sometimes one of the signs that you're doing great with God, well, here's the deal. Sometimes people think, in order to really feel like I really felt God, I got to feel all serious and intense. The truth is, he says, hey, don't be serious today. He says, go out, drink wine, get food, celebrate, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Look what God has done for you. And then the next few chapters here in Nehemiah, we're going to really quickly go through them as the intro for everything that's going to be in chapter 13. It tells us all kinds of things that happen there. There's a great festival. They're filled with great joy, it says at the end of chapter 8. It says, though, in chapter 9, they gather together. And it says they confess their sins, the sins of their ancestors. It says, then for three more hours they confess their sins and worship the Lord their God. We have never had a worship service like this at Cross Point Church. If we had worship services like, like that, we would have an auditorium that had 13 people in it. Um, but they, for three hours, they're there crying out, Lord, their God. They, they're, at the beginning, it's all about God's amazing what God's done for us. At the end of verse 8 of, of chapter 9, he says this. God, you've done what you promised, for you're always true to your word. Uh, end of verse 10, you have a glorious reputation that has never been forgotten. And then it says, we, on the other hand, suck completely. Sorry, stink completely, for those of you that I don't like that word, but it, it's, they're awful. He says, look, God, you have been ultra-faithful. We've been ridiculously unfaithful over and over again. You took us out of being slaves in Egypt for over 400 years, took us out of there, let us out of there, demolished the world's superpower, led us through the dry land. You know what we did? We made a gold cow to worship. Like, how dumb is that? He said, but you forgave us. And then we got to the promised land, this, our destiny, the land you had promised, this is going to be your, this, this is it for you. This is going to be your land. And we said, well, we're not sure about this. We're not sure we can do it. And you go, well, okay, then wander around for 40 years, and you provided for us, protected us in the wilderness. We were unfaithful over and over again. We finally got to our land, this land that you gave to us. You drove out everybody before us, and you gave, this, gave us this fantastic place. And in chapter 9, 
Look down at the end of verse 25. It says, so we ate. They ate until they were full and grew fat. Take that, all you fitness exercise people. And they enjoyed themselves in all your blessings. So like, this is awesome. We got our great land. In my Bible, the next few words are underlined, highlighted. But despite all this, disobedient, rebelled against you, and you handed us over to foreign nations. Book of Judges talks about that, goes back and forth. They try to blend in and fit in with the culture, and they, get, they compromise their faith. God says, you like their gods so much, you can have them. And it goes badly for them. But again, as soon as we're at peace and, and we, we, we committed evil again in your sight, in the end of verse 28, I have this a little star next to this in my Bible. It says, in your wonderful mercy, you rescued them many times. Some of you go, that is the story, that's your t-shirt. Hashtag, rescued many times. What God has done for you. God says, you, you warned us, God, to obey your law. And over and over and over again, we didn't do it. At the end, at the beginning of verse 33, it says, every time you punished us, you were being just. And so we've made a mess out of things. And then in chapter 9, verse 38, I've got this highlighted in my Bible. Mark this up here. It says this. The people responded after recounting what a jacked up mess they were and what amazing, great gloriousness that God is. The people responded in view of all this, in view of everything great about you and how what a disaster we are. We are making a solemn promise and putting it in writing. They were going to write some things down here. We're going to make a vow and a commitment today in the midst of all this celebration. And then the vow of the people is recorded for us in chapter 10, verse 28. So they all gather together with music and singing, like, like a big, massive church service in a bit, like, like going to the mall or something like that. They be thousands of people there, it says. These will be important uh, to remember for what we're going to set. It's, it's the precursor, it's the foreshadowing of some things that are coming. It says, we promise not to let our daughters marry the pagan people of the land and not to let our sons marry their daughters. Now, some of you are going, what is this, like the ethnic master race or something? It's not what this is about. It's not about some just pure race. We'll get to that in a bit. Just hold on. It says, we also promise that if the people of the land should bring any merchandise or grain to be sold on the Sabbath or any other holy day, we'll refuse to buy it. So we're going to honor the Sabbath. Now, in our culture, uh, Chick-fil-A honors the Sabbath. We... I'm kind of bummed about that every Sunday when I want to go home. But this idea of taking a day off, it's like we're going to build a new rhythm. He says, so we're going to honor the Sabbath. It says we're going to also honor and we're going to promise to pay the annual temple tax. And we're going to give and at the end of verse 33, provide for everything necessary for the work of God in our city and our cities. We'll bring the best of everything we have, the best of our money, the best of our produce and our livestock, and we're going to use that to outfit the temple here. Since the people occupied Jerusalem, is chapter 11. It's not, it's not enough to just go build a great city if there's nobody living there. Because like, okay, who's going to run the utilities? Who's going to have my coffee for me down at the corner of 5th Street and J Street? Who's to pick up trash? Run the sewer systems and the light and utilities. Who's to make sure the Wi-Fi is on and working, for crying out loud? All that stuff has got to go on. So they occupy the city. They get in there, and they get the city established. They get it all set up, and they get it all occupied. And then in, ver in chapter 12, it's, it describes what happens when they 
dedicate the wall. This is the big, amazing, this is what happens when the, the band comes out, the mayor comes out, the governor comes out. It's food and feasting. It's beautiful and amazing. It says they got together and they read the word of God and they were excited about it. They didn't just sit there and kind of nod their heads like we all do in the West. Mm, that's amazing. No, they, they were vocally, they were stoked, excited about it. It says they sang. And they didn't sing songs like a lot of time. Well, we don't sing songs like lame churches do because we're not a lame church. But they sang like you were like at a great concert of some kind. Just, yeah, going for it. Thousands of people, one on this side of the valley, on these ramparts over here, and a bunch more over here kind of echoing back and forth. Look at it here. At the end of chapter 12, look at verse 42. It says, they played and sang loudly under the direction of Jezrehiah, the choir director. Many sacrifices were offered on that joyous day, for God had given the people cause for great joy. The women and children also participated in the celebration, and the joy of the people of Jerusalem could be heard far, far, far away. And that's where the point where the, where the movie should end, if we're doing it right. This is where the, and they all live happily ever after. This is where Nehemiah is standing on the rampart, and the music is playing, and the sun is setting behind him, and he stands out there. Look what I have done, what God used me to do. And it's a super powerful moment, like this peak powerful moment that's happened there. And that's where it should end. If you were writing the Bible, if I were writing the Bible, I think I would never be so bold as to actually say this, but I thought it several times. I think there's one too many chapters in Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah ends awkward, man. It doesn't end on the, yeah, amazing. Because what happens here is Nehemiah is standing there and the people are singing and celebrating and it's powerful and beautiful and the credits start to roll. But, but those of you who've been, to the five of us that still go to movies now because they cost, you know, the second mortgage on your house. Um, you know, you've seen those movies. A lot of the superhero movies do this, I guess, where the movie gets done and the credits roll. And what happens? It's like 30 seconds to a minute into the credits, there's those end of credit scenes where all of a sudden it flashes back in there and it says, some years later. And then, oh, it's going to set you up for the next thing that's about to happen. That's what happens here in Nehemiah. And Nehemiah tells us in chapter 13, verse 8, Grant just read it for us, that Nehemiah, who had been charged by the king of Persia to come back here and rebuild the city of Jerusalem, he goes back to go visit the king and to report into what he hears. And then he, go, he comes back some years later, anywhere from like 12 to 20 years later. He comes back to see what's going on here. Have you ever had one of those here we go again moments? Maybe you've never had a here we go again moment. Maybe you say it about people. Maybe not here we go again. Maybe oh, there they go again. Doing the same old dumb thing that made a mess out of this whole situation. That made a mess out of this marriage. Made a mess out of these finances. That made a mess out of your health and your personal life and all that. The thing that made all those messes there. And you got cleaned up and it was great. And now we're... It hadn't even been a generation yet, and we're back to the same stupid nonsense again. My parents' generation, there was a famous comedian. His name was Bob Newhart. Anybody recognize the name Bob Newhart? 
people 25 years old and there you go, I have no idea what you're talking about. Bob Newhart was a, he was, he had a, he was a therapist, psychiatrist, counselor, and people come in. Well, it was about 10, 12 years ago, he did like a follow-up sketch thing, not on a Bob Newhart show where he did it. It wasn't Saturday Night Live. It was one of those kind of late-night shows. And they bring him in, and he's sitting down there. Google it. It's Bob Newhart. It's called the Stop It Sketch. And he's in there, and people come in describing their deep, dark problems and the complicated, convoluted, the mess they're in, and it's terrible, and it's awful, and it's, oh, what, what are you going to do about this? And he does what a therapist does and smiles and nods and listens and writes things down. He says, okay, are you done? Okay. All right. He says, so here's what we're going to do. My rate is very expensive. Uh, this session's only going to last five more minutes. That's all it's going to need. Um, won't even need that much. Um, you might want to get a pen or pencil, write this down, because I'm going to give you the plan how we're going to solve this problem for you. I've got two words for you. Stop it. And they go, but you don't understand how my parents raised me or how I was potty trained or what I did. Da, 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 da. Mm, stop it. And that's a bit of what Nehemiah is going to do here in chapter 13. As he sees all this nonsense going on, he, stop, he, he, he jumps in there and says, stop it. Now, we're not going to say just stop it because it's going to, you'll see it there. It's, hey, stop doing this and start doing that instead. Uh, and he talked, remember they talked about one of the vows they made was like, hey, we're going to honor the Sabbath and take that day off and all that kind of thing. We learn in chapter 13, look down at verse 15. In those days, I saw men of Judah treading out their wine presses on the Sabbath, bringing their grain in, da-da, I rebuked them. I, I confronted them. He said, I shut things down. I closed the walls, the city of Jerusalem. So no, we're not going to break the Sabbath here in Jerusalem. Now, we hear break the Sabbath and think, okay, what's the big deal? You know that in the Ten Commandments, which is God's top ten, before we get to things like murder and adultery and lying, you know what's before all those? The Sabbath. Here's why God does it. For 400 plus years, these people had been slaves in Egypt. They were working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, never getting a day off. And God says, that's just so been ingrained in your culture. He said, I have to create a whole new rhythm and a whole new pattern and a perspective on work. Otherwise, you're just going to do that thing here again and you're going to burn yourself out. So he said, every seven days, take a day off. Keeping the Sabbath day holy does not mean go to church. Now, we certainly go to church on the day off and take advantage of it because you have the day off. But a lot of like, hey, what do you eat and drink? F friends and family? Just, it was given to him as a blessing to say you don't need to do life this way. In fact, he even built in things like about how they handled money with the rhythms, not just of work, but the rhythms, how they handled their finances, to how they dealt with forgiveness of debt and those kind of things. He also did it, crazy stuff, back when this was first written down. In Leviticus 25, God put it out there. He says, hey, every so often, every few years, they had rhythms built in that say, let your land rest. Don't plant anything in that year. Which back in that culture, what's wrong with you people? Now, it turns out science catches up with the Bible eventually. Because they've discovered now in modern times, like that's the whole practice is now, the, the two of you in here that are farmers, um, well, no, that's, they tell farmers, you can't just farm the land year after year after year after year. You've got to let it sit sometimes so that it can replenish and restore itself. It'll be better for you to let the land rest, to give them that rhythm of that. But because huh, they'd experienced the blessings of God by obeying these laws and rules, they all of a sudden start to see these blessings as burdens. And now whenever you start to see the blessings of God and even the boundaries of God, 
Because all of God's good commands that are there in the Bible that are telling you what to do and what not to do are not there to be some little moral. Mm, 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 mm. He's not making lists and checking it twice. He's given that to you. Hey, here's how life works better for you is do relationships this way, do work this way, do things this way. And so he, Nehemiah goes, hey, we're not going to do work in here in Jerusalem. This is going to be, we're not going to break the Sabbath. We're not going to break the Sabbath. But then look what happens here in verse 20. In verse 20 it says, The merchants and tradesmen with a variety of wares camped outside Jerusalem. So not in the city to break the law, because it's, we're not breaking the law because we're outside the city once or twice. But I spoke sharply to them and said, what are you doing out here camping on the wall? If you do this again, I'll arrest you. See, what Nehemiah is dealing with here is not just, let's move this beyond the Sabbath and just all the boundaries and the good blessings that God gives us. Write this down here. The thing he's saying stop doing is stop playing games with God and start honoring him. See, if you're not careful, what will start to happen is, well, technically I didn't break the rules. Those of you that have seventh grade children know exactly what this is like, right? Technically, you know, you weren't supposed to sneak out. Well, I, I was in bed at 3 o'clock, so I, I honored my curfew. I jumped out the window at 3.15. None of you ever did that, right? <laughs> we have all those kinds of things where we'll play games with God. And God, he says, look, I would even say this, maybe it's you old to say, hey, hey, stop keeping the rules and just start honoring God. Because if what religion does, it says, keep all the rules, keep all the rules, and then you know what the Pharisees do where they have a manual of rules of all the different ways and rules and exceptions of how you can duck and dodge. And what God is saying, look, forget about all the technical rules there and just honor me. Just, just start honoring me. And you do that kind of thing. It's beautiful. Hey, can we check the air in here? I see people fanning. Is it warm or stuffy in here at all? Some of you are going, okay, just want to make sure. I don't know, freeze you guys out in here because it's freezing cold outside. Just wanted to make sure. Because if you get too warm in here, you'll fall asleep. Um, <laughs> He goes on to say, uh, at the beginning of Nehemiah 13, it says, at the beginning of Nehemiah 13, it says he expelled some of the foreigners from their assembly. Remember, they had said, we are not going to blend in with the cultures around us. We're not going to intermarry in there. And this is, again, not about ethnic purity. But it is interesting, some cool verses here in Nehemiah. You get a personality, this guy. Um, is it verse 23 of chapter 13. So about that time I realized some, some of the men of Judah had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Furthermore, had their children spoke the language and they all blended in. There's nothing distinctive about us anymore. So, verse 25, I confronted them and cussed them out. I called down curses on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. Nehemiah is my guy. <laughs> this is why all people want to schedule counseling with Mega. You should probably see Beth or Robert or somebody else for counseling. But uh, again, guys, this is not about ethnic purity because here's the deal. From the very beginning, those of you that grew up in church know this. If you're, not, if you're new to church, Abraham is the founder of the Jewish nation. The Jews didn't exist out there. God tells Abraham, I'm going to choose you. And through you, he says, I'm going to bless you and set you apart as my chosen people. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I'm not going to just bless you and everybody else like Sucks to be you. No, I want all the nations to get in on this. In fact, over and over again in the Bible, he, he puts this out here. In Isaiah, find this. There's all kinds of verses in your note sheet that talk about this. But one of the, one of the best ones here is in Isaiah. If you go to the right in your Bibles uh, and you get to Jeremiah, you've gone too far. Go back to Isaiah chapter 56. 
In Isaiah 56, in verse 6, he says this, I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest, and who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. For the sovereign Lord who brings back the outcasts of Israel says, I will bring others too besides my people Israel. The reason God chose his chosen people was to be distinctive and stand out and people go, dang, we want that. To, to go, well, we're going to renounce the worship of our false gods and the dumb, ridiculous customs that we have. I mean, guys, they would do things in there as they worshiped their gods. At the beginning, it was like, oh, just a different sacrifice. Where this devolved into, we, you can study this in history. And it's, right, it's recorded in the Bible. They would even so much go, go so far as to what happened in the worship of, of a lot of those false gods there. They'd take live little babies and throw them alive into fire. He goes, get to stop that. Don't blend. You see, you get sucked into that. You'll get, you, 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 you blend in. That's why Jesus says, he just echoes this here in Matthew chapter 5, verses uh, 14 to 16. He says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. But what happens to light if you put it under a bucket? Well, maybe, what if you poked holes in the top? And you can supply oxygen with it. It's still burning, right? Can anybody see it? Hmm. Say, uh, he says, you're the salt of the earth. What happens to salt when it stops being salty? It becomes sand. <laughs> that's, all, that's all sand is. Is salt that isn't sandy? No. Never mind. Shut up. Um, salt that isn't salt anymore is sand. It's, it's useless. It's pointless. It's like, you, he's, I want you to stay distinctive. To draw people in. He said, what's happened here is you've allowed them, I'm trying to use you to stand out here and pull people up to you so they'll glorify God and come to know the one true God. Instead, you're going down to their level and just blending in all that, and it's all making a mess. And because we are all recovering from seventh grade, all of us, we want to be cool. We want people to like us. What do people think of us? I, I see your social media accounts. You as moms and dads, 37, 47-year-olds, still being 7th graders, going, I'm awesome, I'm smart enough, and I'm good enough, and I'm pretty enough, and doggone it, people like me. And we don't want to be labeled as weird. And so we just blend in. And so over and over again, the people of Israel will just do this over and over again. And, and here's the crazy thing. One of the things that goes on even in modern-day Christianity today is this. There'll be this. There's this notion, this dumb little thing out there that says, well, we want to influence them, and in order to influence them, we must become just like them. Now, look, there's probably a few of you in here who need to hear this today. <laughs> Don't try to be weird. To try, if I'm, I, I need, in order to be a Christian, I have to be weird. Following Jesus will be weird all on its own. Don't add weird, you know, your own weird, stupid stuff to it. But from time to time, following Christ is going to create difficulty. It's, it, it, it's, it's going to... He says, but if we don't stay distinctive, if we just blend in. So the second thing Nehemiah confronts them on, the, he says, stop it. He says, stop blending in and start standing, standing out. When we become, when we compromise and blend in, we become a dull joke and useless. And I'm telling guys, 
even if you get made fun of in the workplace, because you know you're there and they know you're a Christian, you have certain standards of what you won't compromise, and they know you go to church, like what? I play golf on Sunday, you go to church, that's kind of a dumb thing to do. All that stuff and more. You know what happens when the wheels come flying off in that guy's life? You know who he's coming to? Not all the guys he's been at the strip club with on Friday night, he's coming to you. Because that guy's in touch with something. That girl, she knows something there. Stay distinctive so we can stand out. It's why Paul says in Philippians, I want you to see this. It's a little farther to the right in your Bibles. Philippians, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. In Philippians 2.15, he says this. So that no one can criticize you, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Don't become like the crooked and perverse people. Don't be weird, but just stand out. Be different in how you handle your money, how you handle your relationship and divorce and anger and all the stuff that's out there. Don't just blend into all that. You become kind of silly. He says, like, shine bright like a, like a shining star in the universe. Or to quote a modern-day prophet, Rihanna. Here, some of you know the song, right? You can sing it with me. Shine bright like a diamond. <laughs> Jesus and Paul got her by 2,000 years. But it's a great lyric. So stop blending in. Start standing out. Stop playing games. Start honoring God. And then uh, what Grant just read for us. It talks about this time where he sees this stuff in the storerooms of the temple. It says he saw the stuff uh, that had converted a large room, verse 5, and placed it at Tobiah's disposal. And the room had previously been used for storing grain offerings, frankincense offerings. All the, remember the people had vowed that? The four of you pay attention at the beginning. People said, hey, we're going to make sure we bring the best of our livestock, our money, our produce. We're going to bring, we're going to make sure these storerooms are filled up. You know what happened? Storerooms got empty. Ah, uh, you know, because it just, eh, we got busy with life and life's pretty good right now. So they neglected all of that. And the other part that's interesting about this is this is not a room somewhere in the town of Israel, Jerusalem. This is in the temple of God. And in the temple of God, a guy named Tobiah has moved stuff in. Now, for those of you that paid attention seven weeks ago, anybody? Okay. Back in Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2, look at verse 10. It says, When Sinbalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were displeased. In Nehemiah chapter 4, Tobiah the Ammonite who was standing beside her and marked that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked on top of it. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem found out, and the rest of our enemies found that I had rebuilt the wall. Tobiah is not just some guy there that his business has got big and, okay, the temple's got some room. Can I just use one of the rooms there? Tobiah was the guy that was opposed trying to shut this thing down. He's the enemies of these people, and the enemy, don't miss this, has been allowed to move his garbage into the temple. You know how he got it done? Because what was supposed to be in that room was no longer in there. Guys, you can see the just parallel here for your life. 
all kinds of stuff that God wants to put in your life. And if you leave your life empty, you know what's going to happen there? The enemy is going to back up a dump truck full of his crap and crud and nonsense and just back it up in there and fill up your life. And, and there's, there's obvious ones that we kind of talk about all the time at church. Things like addiction to alcohol and drugs, pornography, dysfunctional, codependent relationships. Like, how did this get all like this? Things like uh, depression and anxiety that got backed up and downloaded into my life. Financial bondage. Spending and debt. Unfaithfulness. I'm not just talking about adultery, but unfaithfulness to love your spouse and love your family. And you look at your family and go, how did my family get like this for crying out loud? Oh, what else? Anger and bitterness. Anger and bitterness. Cursing, obscene language. Like, how did that become a stream? Or that's just kind of, I just, that's just who I am anymore. Dishonesty, shady business practices. And you look at stuff and go, how did all that happen? You know how it happened? The enemy did not come to you. Sin did not come to you. The world did not come to you with a 40-foot long dumpster truck and go, and dump it all in there. You know how it got in there? You left some space. Stuff that should have been God's space. It's left there for him, and you let. That's why Paul says, hey, don't let the devil even have a foothold. Don't let him have a foothold because here's what will happen is you leave space in there and sin of your own heart and soul and then the systems of this world, systems of this world, and then Satan and demons even will come along and go, hey, I got some stuff for you. And it's not some big massive thing all at once. It's like, hey, here's a crate. You got room for it. Can you just store this in there for a bit? And next thing you know, you turn around one day and go, how did my finances, how did my marriage how did my personal life get here? It got here not all at once, little by little by little. So the third thing that Nehemiah and Jesus are going to yell at us about because they care about us and they love us is this. Number three, stop leaving space for the enemy's garbage. Stop leaving space for the enemy's garbage in your life and start moving the garbage out and the good stuff in. It's not enough to just say no to the garbage and get rid of that. And here's the deal. Some of you are going to hear this fantastic message today. You're all like, yeah, God's speaking to my heart. i got to go in there and do some stuff. And i got to tell you right now, you'll have a moment today with God. But write this down because we see this, the history of God's people in the Bible times and the history of life here at Cross Point Church in our times. You ever been to a camp or a retreat or a church service and you got all, yeah, stoked for God, right? You know how long that lasted? For some of you, you made big vows to God, vows in your life. Okay, I'm going to diet and exercise, right? Back in January 1, right? We're not even two months in. <laughs> yeah, and this is like the natural tendency of life. Write this down. Um, undeniable truth of life here for you is this. Promises on the peak vanish in the valley. Promises on the peak get pulverized on the plane. Because the truth is, once the emotion fades and the feeling fades, and here's what will happen, is you'll go, God, I've screwed my life. So i got to go back and, boom, get all fired up again. You go, no, that's what you need. You know what you need? You need little by little by little to understand the truth of this little saying that I ripped off from a guy back in South Carolina. 
The pathway to the miraculous is through the monotonous. Those of you that have done, excelled at anything in your life. I see people here, my, uh, I got my, my nephew's here today. He does some kind of skydiving stuff. I know people here that are in, like, do home repair kinds of things. People that have started business in IT kinds of places. Teachers and all that. Yeah, you know how you got great at that? It wasn't like, yeah, I got fired up. Boom, boom, go. You know how you did it? One more training session. One more time and working it out over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Eugene Peterson, who's a, you should read anything that guy writes. He's a guy that did the translation of the Bible called The Message, but he's written a bunch of books. He has this great little thing. He says, the Christian life, the life with God is 10,000 steps in the right direction over a long period of time. And sometimes, quite honestly, you guys, the Christian life is full of excitement and joy. You know what it's sometimes filled with? You'll show up at church and you'll show up at group. And Sometimes it's like that. It's the showing up, though. 10,000 steps. Some of them filled with joy and excitement. Sometimes just filled with, yeah. And then sometimes, like, I can barely put one foot in front of the other. It's all I can do just to limp along and crawl along here. And so I have two questions for you to ask yourself all the time. Don't put the questions up just yet. Because there's an old school song. We're going to sing a bit of it today. Um, some of you that grew up going to church might recognize it. Come thou fount of every blessing. And, and, and one of the last parts of the song says this. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Not the God I'm kind of eh, about. I love God, and yet there's something in me. It's just, I have this tendency to, the what, the old school Paul Simon. Now we're really going back. Slip sliding away. Okay, four of you know that. Okay. Um. <laughs> so what we need to ask, our, here's two questions. What garbage needs to be cleared out of my life today and kept out? Psalm 139. It's a little few pages to the right in your Bible. Great verses here. I've marked up in my Bible to remind myself to ask these questions. These are questions you should ask yourself not once in a while when you're just all about God, but on a daily or semi-daily basis. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God. Wait, what? Search who, O God? Me. Not search him, not my kids, not my spouse, not my ex, not fools at my work. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. That means, God, there's some things in here i got to just say no to. And, and some of this is there's right and wrong stuff. Hey, there's, gotta, there's garbage and crap and i got to clean out of here. But I want to tell you, look at me for a second here. There's a few things that are in your life that for the dude sitting over here, he can have a glass of wine and go to the wineries and do stuff. You should never go back there again because of your past and your circumstances. There's some social media stuff. There's some apps on your phone. There's some entertainment. There's all kinds of stuff. Maybe even certain relationships. You go, you know, it wouldn't be wrong for other people. But for me, God, that just jacks me up. And so I've got to put some boundaries there in my life. Now, when you do that, the tendency you're going to have to do there is, oh, okay, it worked for me, therefore it's supposed to be for everybody else. That's dumb, that's legalism. Use it for yourself. Well, what needs to be cleared out and what do I have to go look? To have the life that God has for me, 
what needs to be kept out. Um, but it's not enough to just say no. If you just say no, it's, it, there's a famous verse in the Bible. It's one of the grossest verses in the Bible. Proverbs 26.11 says this. Like a dog goes back to his vomit, so a fool, we fools repeat our foolishness. So you have dogs. Dogs are amazing animals, but they're just gross, disgusting. Like, yeah, they do that, right? You have to, some of you are going, like, I'm throwing up my mouth right now. Please stop. Um, they on the ground there, and they're, oh, they feel, they, feel, they feel better. And you turn around the next day and go, what are you doing? You're down there again. I think the angels in heaven sometimes look at us and go, they're not mad at us. They just go, what is wrong with those people? The thing that jacked their life up and made a mess out of their finances, out of their personal life, out of whatever it is, they're going to go back to that again? What's wrong? We need a worship song like that. God, I... <laughs> God, when I break your promise... Like a dog who goes back to the vomit. I mean, <laughs> Crystal now hates me forever. Um, and then sometimes, too, it's, there's another funny one because God calls us sheep, and maybe you've been like this once in a while. We need a stronger yes. The sheep needed a better yes to go to. Otherwise, we just go, ba bang, ba bang. We go going back and forth. Here we go again, falling for the same old dumb kind of things. That's why Jesus says, well, we're Nehemiah here. He doesn't just clean house. You know what he does there? He goes, let's get the stuff back in here that's supposed to be in here. Let's fill it back up again. Because you know what's going to happen here if we just empty it out? Some other fool's going to come and move some nonsense in here. You got to fill it up. In fact, in Matthew chapter 12, Verses 43 to 45. I want you to see this. Matthew 12, 43 to 45. I'll just talk quieter to keep her calm. Matthew 12, 43 says this. Hey, baby. <laughs> when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none. And then it says, I'll return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept, and in order. All cleaned up, all good, no bad stuff in here. And because it's empty, the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there, and so that person is worse off than before. That's the experience of this evil generation. Guys, we have to have a stronger yes. So it's not enough to just say no. Number two, what good stuff needs to be put back and kept back in? Proactively, intentionally. Because you just think, well, you know what? My life with God, it just, it just happens. You know what just happens? Stuff. No, I wasn't going to say it. Stuff just happens. So you have to be intentional about this stuff. It's like showing up at church, honestly. Being, it's, it's, it's not like going to church makes you a moral good person. It's like it's what it does for you to fill your life up again. It's, it's what Justin talked to us about last week, the Word of God. On a consistent basis, getting that Bible out and reading it or listening to good podcasts about it, uh, prayer, uh, the people of God, why you tell you to join small groups, it's the friends you surround yourself with. There's a new guy uh, at our church. Uh, he's actually here today, um, so I will use his name and embarrass him. His name's Dustin. You don't, none of you know him yet. He joined our small group. 
And we were talking about this a couple weeks ago in our group. And he says the idea of what it means to walk in the Spirit. We think that means, what does it mean to walk? You know what it means? He has this great idea of this. It's like, it's, it's what Jesus says. He says, abide in me. It's this idea of, I'm going to start the day with you, God. I'm going to walk with you today. Staying aware of how I make food for my kids in the morning and how I do the pickup line at school and how I get to work. And, oh, there he, she is again. And usually gets triggered. I know that's day. He says, the more you start doing that, what you want to do is, every day, just make that last longer for how long you walk with God and stay in his presence. It's beautiful. It's amazing to see all of that happen. God, just fill up my life with yourself. The band's going to come up right now because um, I'm done yelling at you for a bit. But don't, I'm not quite done. I learned some things about this with landscaping. We lived in Vista for about, uh, about 10 years before we moved here to Temecula. And we lived on about an acre of property, and it was on a big embankment. And there was no, nothing there except dirt. And every year, you know what happened? The weeds got about that high. And I had to get out there with a weed whacker and shovels and rakes and knock that stuff down. It was nasty, gnarly work because you're on a slope and you're falling and it's just gross. And you get done and go, okay, at least the weeds aren't there anymore. You know what happened the next year? Weeds happened again. Until my wife, who I should listen to more, <laughs> I'm working on that. Um, <laughs> Some of you, that's the only thing you got out of here. Listen to me more, honey. Um, is, so what if we got, went out and got some like ground cover, like this stuff called red apple ice plant stuff that people just give away by the bags. You just stick it in the ground. You know what the crazy thing happened was? I got in there and planted this ice plant stuff in the ground and put it there. The next year, there were still some weeds, but not as many as there had been. And by year two and three, you know what happened to the weeds pretty much? Gone. You know how the weeds got gone? Because I put the good stuff in first. This is why the joy of following Jesus is not about stop doing wrong stuff. It's like just do the good stuff. You're going to talk about it in your groups this week. Off with the old and on with the new. Quit trying to, quit, stop trying to be bad and just work at saying, God, what's the good things you want to do in my life? What's that fruit of the Spirit, that joy, that love, that peace, that gentleness? When that starts to happen in your life, then you're excited and stoked about it all. And so we're going to give you a chance today to respond to this. I invite you to come to tables of communion where it's a piece of bread and some juice that symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus given for you. Uh, that, that we're so prone to wander, that song we sing, I talked about, we're prone to wander and leave the God we love and yet he came for us. No matter how unfaithful we are, over and over again. And some of you here today going, there I go again. I don't even know what I'm doing at church today because I went and did it again. Oops. <laughs> and it wasn't even oops, I did it on purpose. God goes, look, despite your unfaithfulness, I'm faithful to you. Come. Come with your dirty hands, your corrupt mind. You don't, you don't come to tables of communion getting all cleaned up and getting all prepared and ready for it. You come with, like, I'm a jacked up mess here, God, today. And if it was up to my purity and my goodness, I don't deserve any of this. But I don't come standing in my own righteousness to earn your forgiveness come with a dirty, jacked up, messed up life that I've allowed to fill up here. I'm asking you to clean me up from the inside out. Come and receive communion today. And then our prayer team is at the back of the house. And you might have some things here that you have going on in your life with this sense of I've wandered away from God. I've drifted away from God. Some of you aren't even Christians yet. You need to let God come and take over the whole dang house. Because you don't have a room or two that's filled up with crap and stuff. <laughs> the whole dang thing's a mess. So get in there. Our prayer team's back there at the house there. 
you might want to do business with your house today, business at your own seat today, and just take some time to go, God, I've been so prone to wander. I need to clean some things. I need to confess some sin today. And all confessing sin is not just going, God, you know the crap I put in here, would you clean it up? Would you take it out of me and then would you replace yourself and purify me from all unrighteousness? And so Jesus, today, we confess we are prone to wander. We feel it. We feel it, God. We're prone to leave you, God. You're the God we love. Here's our hearts, Lord. Here's our hearts. Take and seal them. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.